Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and we'll open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we begin the 12th chapter today in our study of 1 Corinthians, and this will actually put us into a prolonged period of study about spiritual gifts. And I want you to understand today that there are supernatural gifts that are given to Christians, and I'm not just talking about a few select Christians, but every person who becomes a member of the Lord's church and worships him and serves him in that way, God will give you a spiritual gift. Now, I want to take a poll of the congregation today. All of the ministers in Berean Baptist Church, would you please stand up? All ministers of Berean Baptist Church. Uh, We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. All right, all right. If you are a member of Berean Baptist Church, you should be standing right now because every person in the church who is a member is a minister in this church. And just to prove that you're ministers, God has given you all spiritual gifts. Now, you may not be using that gift. You may not even understand what that gift is. You might be too sure about it, but God has given you a spiritual gift. Now, you can be seated if you'd like. If you don't, you can stand up through the rest of the sermon. But most of the time, when we think about spiritual gifts, uh, we hone in on two specific gifts that are prominent among evangelical Christians, and that's the gifts of speaking in tongues and healing. And most people will put that up there prominently when when you're speaking about spiritual gifts. That's the first thing that comes into your mind. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues and healing and all those kinds of things a little bit later on as we go through the study of spiritual gifts. But today, in this sermon, I'm just going to give you an overview of spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk about how we receive these gifts, what are they, where do these gifts come from. So we're going to read about that today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 1 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. That verse is actually a test for spiritual gifts. Verse number four. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That means that all the gifts come from one in the same place. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. There's the reason why God gives spiritual gifts. That's verse number 7. Verse number 8 begins a list of spiritual gifts. And this is not an exhaustive list. There are others that are given in the Bible, but he starts a list. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We, we thank you, Lord, that you have given special gifts, supernatural gifts among the people of your church, that we can use these gifts for your honor and your glory. Help us to understand better. 
as we go through this study in the next few weeks of spiritual gifts. Help us to really understand better exactly what you have for us, which of those gifts are to be used today and which are not. And we hope, Lord, that you will will open our eyes to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to take today to talk to you about spiritual gifts and just sort of get a handle on what Paul is talking about when he says that there's this great diversity of spiritual gifts that God has given in the church. As we've been going through the study of 1 Corinthians, we've learned that there are three categories of errors that were prominent in the Corinthian church. The first one was immorality. The next one is immaturity. And a little bit later on, we're going to talk about a third problem that they had at Corinth, and that was the problem of immortality. They didn't really understand all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We've already covered immorality, and uh, these people came from a pagan background, and the history of pagan religions has always been one of immorality. You can go all the way back to hundreds of years back in the Old Testament before the time of the Apostle Paul. And there you find God warning the children of Israel. He says, these people, these Canaanites, they are practicing the wrong things. There's great immorality there, and I want you to stay away from that. Now, one of the problems that there was so much immorality in all those pagan religions was the preoccupation with sex. They didn't understand reproduction, and so rather than worshiping the God who gave us that, they began to worship the process of reproduction itself, and so that led them into all kinds of immoral practices. Also, polytheism, that was the pervasive religion back then and also in Paul's day. He was still facing the same kinds of problems. And I think one of the things that's really amazing about what's taking place in our country today As America gets further and further away from God, we become a more sexual society. Now today, the standards of decency and morality have not been relaxed. They're almost entirely non-existent. And that's because the further that we get away from God, the more immoral that we become. And actually what we're doing as Americans today is we are reverting back to old pagan practices. Now that's one of the problems that they had in the Corinthian church. The second category of problems was immaturity. These people thought that they were wise, spiritual people. They thought that they knew more than the Apostle Paul and what he had to say to them. And the real truth of the matter is that these people were just too immature to use the spiritual gifts that God had given them. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you remember Paul is talking to them and he says, I can't talk to you like spiritual Christians. I have to talk to you like babies in Christ. So they were very immature. Now, they had the spiritual gifts, but some of the people in the church, they had neglected those spiritual gifts, and they had used the things that God gave them. So at this point, they hadn't grown enough in their Christian faith that they could understand it. I mean, they had the gifts, but they weren't using those gifts for God's glory. Now, what I want you to understand today, again, is that every person who is a Christian, if you're a member of Berean Baptist Church, you have been given spiritual gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians was written not just for those Corinthians, and Paul's not just addressing them, but also this is included in the New Testament canon of Scripture because God has something for us to learn from this as well. Now, I want you to notice, first of all today, the substance of spiritual gifts. Paul begins by saying, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Now, if I tell you today that you're ignorant of spiritual gifts... That doesn't mean that you're stupid. That means that you haven't yet learned about it. 
And that's what Paul says to these people. You are ignorant of spiritual gifts. You haven't yet learned about it. But as you become a more spiritual Christian, as you learn more, then you'll begin to understand what spiritual gifts are all about. Now, the problem in Corinth is their pagan background. What they've seen in Corinth were a lot of counterfeit gifts. They'd seen a lot of working of gifts under the direction of not the Holy Spirit, but under another spirit, evil spirits. They saw gifts that were working under the power of Satan. And so when God started to give them spiritual gifts, they began to mix that up with old pagan practices, and they dragged some things that they had in the past over into their worship of God, the true God. And so they were very confused about these spiritual gifts. You know, it's very interesting today that you can look, for instance, at the Roman Catholic Church, and you find out that there are a lot of pagan practices in the Roman Catholic Church. They were actually things that were brought over into Christianity that they, they, they use that were really pagan practices. Now, I want you to understand first here two important principles about the substance of spiritual gifts. First of all, these are spiritual and not material. Now, that seems like we ought to understand that very easily, that since we call them spiritual gifts, they are not material gifts. But in fact, there are a lot of people that are confused about it because what we like is something that we can see. We want to hold on to something, we want to feel something, and we like those kinds of gifts. If it's something that can hold on, feel, that's a gift. Now, the Corinthians were looking for something perhaps that they could feel rather than what God was giving them spiritually. Now, here's something I would challenge you to do. This Christmas, you need to think a little bit differently about gifts. When your kids go to the Christmas tree and they look under the Christmas tree and they're trying to find the gifts that you gave them, you just tell them, well, this year we're having spiritual gifts. You can't actually see them. You can't hold them. But you need to just internalize this and spiritualize that you have these gifts. And I promise you, you will not be very popular at Christmas. And that's because we like things that we can hold on to, we can touch. And many Christians think, well, if God's going to give me a gift, that means God's going to give me money. God's going to give me a new car. And we'd much rather have that kind of gift most of the time than the thing that God gives. But really, the gifts that God gives are the best of all gifts. Because every day of your life, you can use your gift that God has given, and you go through your life with the joy in your heart and the purpose of knowing this glorifies God. This is pleasing to God. And so it's better than any other gift you could give. It's better than a material gift because it never wears out. Every day you can use it for the glory of God. Now, the second thing about these gifts, if they are supernatural and not natural, and that means it's not something that you're born with. Some of you, you have some great natural talents. The ladies that play the instruments up here, they have great natural talents. That's not a supernatural talent. It's a natural one. Some people learn those kinds of skills. Some people are born with the ability to do this. You know, I, I have a nephew, from the time that he was very little, he could sit down at a piano and he could begin to play a piano because he, he, he just knew how to play by ear. That was a talent that he had been given. But that's not a supernatural talent. Catherine and, and Diane, they play different musical instruments. Catherine sings like a canary. But that is not a supernatural gift. That is a natural gift that God has given. And so that's why when you look in the Scriptures, you don't find that singing 
is listed as one of the spiritual gifts. You don't find playing musical instruments, a harp, a violin, or a trumpet. That's never spoken of as being a spiritual gift. That is a natural gift. And if you have a natural gift, the very best place that you could use that is always in the service of the Lord. That's a good thing for you to do. But we're not talking about natural gifts. These are supernatural. And God has given you these gifts in order that you can minister in the body of Christ. Now, don't ever get worried about the fact that maybe you don't have a natural gift. It's wonderful that people do have natural gifts and and praise God when they come and use that in the service of the Lord. But never feel like you've been shortchanged in this because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you a supernatural gift and you can use it for his glory. Now, let me give you an example of that. We can pick out just one of the supernatural gifts that, that Paul mentions in the Scriptures. And if you'll look in verse number 10, he talks about the gift of prophecy. Whenever we think of prophecy, we think about foretelling the future. But really, in the New Testament, whenever you see prophecy, most of the time that's referring to actually preaching of the Word of God. And so God has given me a gift of preaching His Word. I can't tell the future except beyond what, of course, God has written in his word. I don't tell the future, but God has given a gift of preaching. And I assure you this, as far as I'm concerned, that is a gift. It's not a natural talent, because if you could have seen me when when I was in high school, you would have said, there is no way that that boy could ever preach. You may still think that, I don't know. But you wouldn't have thought I could, because I, I was totally frightened, scared to death, to get up in front of a crowd. My knees would knock. I'd start shaking all over. My tongue would stick to the roof of my mouth. I couldn't talk. So God had to give me a gift to be able to do this. And I promise you that that if I were to ask some of you to get up here today and say, I need you to preach a sermon for me today, some of you'd faint dead away. There's no way that you could stand up here and preach a sermon because you'd be totally scared out of your wits to do this. That's okay because that may not be your gift. That's not a spiritual gift that God has given you. Now, hopefully, we'll all agree uh, that, that God gave me a gift to do this, and so I want to use this gift in God's service as I preach his word. So if you got up here today, you know, I may not be the best person to listen to, but if you got up today, it might be torturous for you and torturous for us to have to listen to you. So here's the thing about spiritual gifts. When you find out what that gift is that God has given you, don't try to use a gift that you don't have. Because if you do, you'll end up being ineffective. It won't be for the glory of God, and you'll fail unless you're using the gift that God has given. So God has given us these gifts to build up or to edify the body of Christ. And whenever you exercise that gift in the way that God has given it to you, you can rest assured it will build up in some way. It will enhance the work of Christ that we do in the church. Now, let's go on to a second observation about spiritual gifts. Now, remember, we're just getting an introduction here to things. But next is the source of spiritual gifts. Let's stop back or step back for just a moment, and let's think about the abuse of spiritual gifts in Corinth. The test for any spiritual gift is, is it used properly? Does it conform to what we read in the Scriptures? Do we follow what the Apostle Paul wrote in these Scriptures and other people wrote as they talk about spiritual gifts? Now, 
what happens today in many churches is that there is a great abuse of spiritual gifts. Some people counterfeit spiritual gifts, and they don't actually come from the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, much of what people do in churches today, most of what some churches do, and perhaps even all of what some churches do, has nothing at all to do with the working of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't conform to the Bible's teaching, then that can't be a gift that God has given. So you have people who think that because there was some kind of an ecstatic experience that happened in church, uh, would some people think that, that uh, the Holy Spirit was really working overtime because people got so excited and they begin to let the experience override the actual teaching of God's Word. And so experience becomes the determining factor, and it's not God's Word that actually says that is a spiritual gift. And so people let the feelings and let the experience overcome, and they make that the test. Now let's think about, then, the abuses that happened at Corinth. There in Corinth, they had wildly ecstatic worship services. But that's the very thing that Paul is addressing and he's warning against in chapters 12, 13, and 14. He's dealing with those ecstatic experiences and he's telling them that does not meet the test of God's Word. Now, I know there are a lot of people that get very upset when you talk about this. They do not agree with it. And the reason that they don't is they don't very carefully study what God is saying and what Paul has written down in these scriptures. So if you don't look at the New Testament, if you don't look at the thrust of the Scriptures to find out what it says, you'll run into trouble with spiritual gifts. Now listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So John's saying there are other spirits that are out there. There are evil spirits that are out there. They're out there in the world. And they also sneak into the church. And so just because you find excitement and you find activity that's going on in a church service, that does not mean that it came from the Holy Spirit. Just the fact that something supernatural happened does not prove that it's a gift that came from the Spirit. So where does the gift come from? Well, Paul gives us two tests. And in this passage, we'll, we'll find these two tests. and other places, there are more tests. But here Paul gives us two tests to find out if something that's practiced in the church is truly from the Holy Spirit. The first test is a negative test for the source. Now look at verse number 3 again. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. The negative part there is no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Now, that might be a little bit hard for us to understand because have you ever seen anybody get up in a Christian church and say, well, Jesus is cursed. Jesus is evil. Jesus is from the devil. You ever hear anybody in a, in a Christian church do that? You ever hear a charismatic even ever say anything like that? Well, no, you won't. So we have to break it down a little bit to understand exactly what Paul is saying. In Paul's day, there was this growing influence among the people called Gnosticism. I don't have time to explain to you what that's all about, but let me leave it at this, that the Gnostics believed that everything that was natural and physical is evil, and everything that is spiritual and supernatural, that's good. And so they came to the conclusion that since Jesus was the God-man, since he came down to earth, that his coming to earth and becoming a man, that was actually an evil thing. 
Now, what Jesus accomplished when he was here, that was good. But Jesus himself, in his humanity, he was evil. But because Jesus was also God, then he was, had a supernatural aspect, and so that was good. And so they tried to divide Jesus between the natural and the spiritual. And so everything that Jesus did in the natural function, that was evil. Everything that Jesus did spiritually, that was good. So they make a difference right there. Well, as we know, that, that's as far off base as you can possibly get. That, that's certainly not the truth. But the problem is there were people that were in the church at Corinth and they were speaking under the influence of something supernatural. And so they thought that they were getting a revelation from God when it was actually coming from the devil and they were saying that Jesus is accursed. So they thought because, well, something supernatural happens in the church. Here's someone speaking in tongues. Here's something that's out of the ordinary. And so that must mean that's a true revelation from God. And so they were confused about it. Now, here's the real problem with that. There is no new revelation from God. There isn't any. So in a sense, when a person gets up to speak and they talk in a tongue and they claim to have received a special revelation from God, then you'd better check that out. Because if it does not agree 100% with the Word of God, then that did not come from the Holy Spirit. So that's what's going on there. Now, I like what John MacArthur says about this. He says, a Christian today cannot receive new revelation. The only way to be sure if something is spiritual is to be sure it is scriptural. If it agrees with scripture, a new revelation from the Spirit is unnecessary. If it does not agree with scripture, a new revelation can't be from the Spirit and it's false. Now, let me add something to that. You could say that anyone who falsely claims that something that they're doing came from the Holy Spirit, that they are actually calling Jesus accursed. If they do something that's contrary to the written Word of God, they're calling Jesus accursed. Now, do you know why I say that? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the living Word of God. He's the Word of God himself. You remember the Scripture in John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. So anything that is contrary to the written Word of God is also contrary to the living Word of God. And so if you have something that's being practiced, and if it doesn't meet the test, if it doesn't agree with Jesus and the Word, then the source of that gift is not the Holy Spirit. The source of that gift is a demonic spirit. And it doesn't matter how much it enlivens a church service. It doesn't matter how ecstatic that people get. If it does not match the Word of God, that is not a gift that came from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the wrong source. But we also have here another test, and this is the positive test for the source. This is in the second half of verse 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. That's the positive, or negative rather. Here comes the positive. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. What does it mean when you say that Jesus is Lord? That's a very important question. It's critical to understanding what Paul is saying in these verses. Jesus said that there are many people in the end times that they'll be saying, Lord, Lord. They'll call upon the name of the Lord, but they don't actually know the Lord that they're calling upon. And so... They think then that it's not necessary for a person to have a personal relationship and to know Christ uh, intimately and to submit to his authority and complete obedience to the word of God. That's what it actually means to call Jesus the Lord. 
Now, incredibly today, among many independent Baptist churches, and I'm sad to say this, among independent Baptist churches, there are some who are saying that a person, when he comes to Christ, when he was a believer in Christ, he does not have to receive Jesus as his Lord. There doesn't have to be a change that takes place in his life. He can go on living in sin. He can claim to be a Christian, say that he is, but never make Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. And I would say that any pastor, I don't care who it is, who says that is not speaking from the Holy Spirit of God. He's under the influence of a demonic spirit. You must receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Now, here's the very important aspect of Paul's statement. Now, remember, we're talking about spiritual gifts. These are gifts that truly come from the Holy Spirit of God. No one can ever claim that Jesus is Lord. They cannot make that statement unless that statement is motivated by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Now, you know what that means then? It means that the Holy Spirit or that God himself is always the impetus for salvation and for service. It doesn't come any other way. So nobody can wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today is a beautiful day. I think that I'll become a Christian. I think the day that I'm going to make Jesus the master and the Lord of my life. You can't do that. Because the Bible says the only way that you could ever make a statement like that is if the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart to cause you to do that. Now, there are many people that are totally confused about that. They think that, well, the thing that I have to do at the invitation of the service, I've got to get up here, I've got to beg, I must plead, I must implore people to come to the front so I can get them saved. And they think that's what saves people. And they think that my persuasion, what I do up here coaxing you to do something, that's going to help you get saved. That's not how people get saved. People get saved under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to speak to the heart. And unless... God's Spirit speaks to you, you will never call Jesus Lord. And that's because the natural man, the Bible says, is an enemy against God. He always will be until God comes and changes his heart. So here's how you judge these things, this spiritual gift. If it misses the mark that it does not conform to the Scriptures, it doesn't come from God's holy word, then you know that that is not a gift that was given by God. Now, here's what you need to see in this. You need to really see how important that the Word of God is. The Word, the written Word of God, is the determiner for all of our practices. All of our authority for anything that we do in the church must come from the Word of God. And if it doesn't come from that, doesn't matter if it feels good, doesn't matter if it looks good, doesn't matter if it seems to be supernatural and is in fact supernatural. If it doesn't meet that test, it does not come from God's Holy Spirit. Now, do you ever wonder then why that there are in many churches pastors that are preaching and they never take this and open it up? They never preach straight from the Word of God, right down the page, Scripture by Scripture. You ever wonder why they don't do that? Because they know that when they do, they'll find something there that does not agree with their practices. And so they discard the Word of God and they don't preach from it. So the Word of God doesn't matter. It's my feeling. It's my experience. That's what matters. And so they totally disregard the Word of God. You cannot preach in spirit and truth if you don't use the Bible. Forget about it. You can't do it. You must preach from the Word. So here we have the substance of spiritual gifts. We understand that. And the source of gifts. Now, finally, let's talk about the service for spiritual gifts. Again, we're just doing an overview here. 
We've got a whole lot to talk about spiritual gifts in the rest of chapter 12 and 13 and 14. Spiritual gifts are for the service of the church. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Underline the word profit in your Bible. A spiritual gift is to be profitable. So that means that you're not given a spiritual gift for show. You're not given a gift to show what a great Christian that you are and what a great spiritual person that you are. That's not the reason that God has given you spiritual gifts. Now, you've heard me preach many times as a pastor of this church. I do not want to be the king of the church. I don't want to be the dictator in this church. I don't want anybody to look up at me because I have some great supernatural gift of preaching and so I'm above everybody else's in the church. I don't want you to look at me that way because this gift is not for me. It's for the glory of God. But you know, in, in many churches, there, are, there are, are, are people that they use these kinds of things for their own edification. You know, I played a little joke on the Sunday morning forum class a few weeks ago. It was right after the, the Israel trip, and I came in after being gone a couple of weeks. And I walked in, and everybody's as silent as a tomb, as they usually are in Sunday morning forum class. But I walk in, and I say, what? Nobody stands up and nobody claps for me? That was a joke. I hope you understood that. I don't want your applause. But you know, I've been in some Baptist churches that when the pastor walks into the room, <laughs> woohoo! The pastor's here. Stand up and cheer for the pastor. I don't need you to do that. You're not to cheer for me. This is God's gift. This God's going to get the glory and not me. And every time I see something like that, I think about, I think about the Apostle Paul and Peter walking into the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and all the people in the council standing up. There's Peter, there's Paul. Whoa, what great men, what great spiritual guys. And cat calls and whistling, woo, 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 woo. Peter and Paul. Do you think that they did that in the Scripture? Absolutely not. And the reason that they didn't is because what they did was for the glory of God. And that's what your gift has to be used for. It's not for your edification. It's for the edification of God's people. Now, so what about service for spiritual gifts? Well, notice, first of all, they are to be employed, not enjoyed. Now, I don't mean that you can't enjoy the gift that God has given you, because certainly you should. But that's not the purpose that God gives that gift. The purpose of the gift is that God may be glorified. Now, this is why the abuse of tongues is such a serious thing, because there are people who want to do that because they want to have the experience. They want the feeling that goes with that. They get a charge out of that. But your gift is not for your enjoyment. It's for employment in God's service. So when I get up to preach, I don't do it for enjoyment. I like to do it, but I don't do it for enjoyment. I don't think I've ever stepped once into the pulpit and I said, you know, this is just like riding a Ferris wheel. It's like getting on a roller coaster. This is so much fun. I don't do it for that reason. I do it because this is what God wants. This is for God's service. So whenever I begin to to substitute my feelings for what God wants, I'm no longer worshiping God. I'm worshiping myself. You know, the other day I received a letter from a former member of our church, and it really distressed me. I mean, this person had moved away. And I just had to grit my teeth as I was reading because it is so typical of the way that people totally, just totally misunderstand worship. This person said, we're now attending church where the music is a little racier, which we like. It's not a question of what you like. It's a question of does it glorify God? Does it matter how you feel about it? 
And people are so mixed up and confused about this. It's what I want. It's what I like. It would have been so much better if they wrote to me and said, we're worshiping in a church where the music glorifies God. But they said, we're worshiping in a church where we like it. It feels good to us. You see the difference in the emphasis in that? The, the emphasis must be placed upon God. It doesn't matter how you feel about things. Is it worshiping God? Now, the same thing's true with these spiritual gifts that we use. Our employment is not primary. The emphasis has to be, do we take our gifts and do we use our gifts the way that God wants us to use them? Are we using them in the employment of God's service? And then secondly, our gifts are to be edifying, not empty. E. Herndahl lists three purposes for spiritual gifts. He said, for the welfare of the church, for the welfare of the individual members, for the welfare of the world. All three of those are edifying purposes. So if the focus becomes you, then that gift is empty. If preaching becomes all about me, my gift is empty. If I have knowledge, you know, people ask me a lot of questions in form class, but if I have knowledge and that puffs my head up to where I think that I'm somebody, I'm so knowledgeable about things, my gift is empty. If you're a teacher in Sunday school in this church, and you walk into your Sunday school class and you do that to build up yourself or to establish yourself rather than the church, then your gift is empty. Now, let me also say that you shouldn't be jealous of another gift that a person has. Brother Dalton back there is very gifted at dealing with young people and speaking to them. Brother Jim Andrews has that same kind of a gift. They use that. I'm not jealous of them. I don't do that as well as they do. So if you say, well, I need Brother Dalton to to speak, I need Brother Jim to speak because uh, they're going to talk to the young people. They're going to do this. I'm not going to say, well, I think that I ought to be doing that. You won't hear me say that. I rejoice that God has given them the gift, and they use that gift in the employment of God's service. So I don't want my gift to be empty, certainly not. Now, one of the things that I know that I'm not very good at is in the area of mercy. In Romans chapter 12, it calls mercy one of the spiritual gifts. And I'll confess to you, I don't particularly have that that spiritual gift. I try, but sometimes it's hard to me to relate to people. I'm not maybe as compassionate as I should be, and some of you may complain that I'm not. But I'm thankful that God has gifted some members of the church in that area. You know, I think about some of the ladies in the church, especially like Janet Jefferson, my sister Linda back in Kentucky, Mrs. Silva, some of you other ladies in the church, you have the ability to have compassion and mercy for people. When you hear there's a problem, you pick up the phone and you call the person. Uh, you send them a card to try to encourage them and lift them up. You, you visit them or, or you prepare some food. You know, Mrs. Silva's always taking care of that, preparing food to get to people that are sick. Those folks, they just have that supernatural gift that God has given to be compassionate for people. I don't have it like they have it. I try, but God has given them that gift. What I'm thankful for is that there is a diversity of gifts among the body. And God distributes those gifts. And he makes it so that everybody in the church has an important thing that they do here. So the pastor is not the end-all and the be-all for the church. He's just exercising one or more spiritual gifts that God has given. And if you are a part of this church and you are a minister, you need to find out what that thing is that God has given you. And you need to exercise it for the body of Christ. Now that leads me to a final observation I'd like to make today. Uh, Are you to go out seeking 
spiritual gifts. Are you to pray for spiritual gifts? And you say, now, Lord, give me this gift, but I don't particularly want that gift. Here's your last statement for today. Spiritual gifts are by God's sovereignty, not by our selection. Notice verse number 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. What that means is that all of these spiritual gifts come from one Holy Spirit, and God is the one who gives each person a gift or more than one gift, and God distributes those gifts as it pleases him, not as it pleases us. And so you don't say, when you become a Christian, you pull out your little shopping list, and you say, God, I really like the, I like the gift of faith. I, I think I need that one. Or, God, I, I really like speaking in tongues. Give me the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, mercy, I don't like that gift so well. And the gift of giving, that's not for me. Give me a different gift. It's not up to you. You know, I marvel each time that I think about the Apostle Paul when he says that he was separated from his mother's womb for the preaching of the gospel. And you know what that tells me? Paul did not have a choice in the salvation matter, and he didn't have a choice in the service matter. God called him to it, and God worked it out in his own timing to bring Paul to the very place that God wanted him so he could exercise the gifts that God had given. Now, the Bible lists at least 18 different spiritual gifts. There may be more. Maybe you can find some more. But I want you to write these scriptures down. I want you to look them up. You find those spiritual gifts in this passage that we've just been reading. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, there are more spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, you find more spiritual gifts. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it mentions spiritual gifts. So you look over those different things that we have in the Scripture and be assured of this, that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Now, some of you may have more, but every Christian has at least one. And the question is, are you using the gift that God has given? It's for the profit of the church, and if it's profitable for the church, it will also be profitable for you in the end. It's great to know that you're pleasing God by using a spiritual gift. That's because God is the giver of spiritual gifts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to talk about these spiritual gifts today. Lord, we're just making an introduction here and getting into the study. As we go along, I hope, I hope, Lord, that you will reveal to some of the people here what that gift is that you want them to use. Help them to use the gift in the right way. May it be to glorify and honor you. Lord, I pray that you might bless in this time of invitation, draw our hearts closer to you for every Christian that's here today. May they be very concerned about are they using their spiritual gift. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.